Pulp MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I wanna say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas. It is Sunday, March 13th, 2022, and I'm back in Boise today. Flew back from Detroit. Pretty long day. Seemed like everybody was kind of having flight issues. I know myself uh, had some plane problems. I think Steve Mathis is still struggling to get home as well. And kind of makes sense after a wild night. I mean, everything that seemed to could possibly go wrong for some of these guys last night did so it was just one of those weekends weird day weird night crashes weird results uh, and we'll get into it do you want to thank the sponsors though Pirelli Tires Guts Racing Plum Creek Funding Works Connection Fast Foundry Grant Stone Boots Pro Glow Wash and Fly Racing we'll talk about those guys a little bit later as well we'll have the uh, Pro Glow question of the week have a pretty good one picked out. But as I mentioned, just a kind of a wacky day. And the 250 class wasn't too bad. I don't think like you didn't really get that feeling that we were in for a wild night watching the 250 so much. It was more of kind of what we expected. Uh, Jet Lawrence takes the win. And I wrote in my notes that it was kind of easy, but when I reflect on it, maybe not. You know, he, he did make some mistakes in there, and he let Pierce Brown get right to the back of him, and maybe letting him is not the, the right way to say it because Pierce Brown rode incredibly well. You can really see Pierce starting to develop, and the promise that KTM slash Gas Gas saw in him and why they invested in him and supported him for so long is starting to show up. You're seeing him really turn into the rider that many people believed he could be. And I was really on the fence about where Pierce Brown was going to go with this thing. Like he, he was kind of on the, I, I just didn't know, right? It was, it was really getting down to a point where he needed to make it happen or he was going to go down the path of Jarrett Fry and you know all the other guys that we've seen that just weren't able to make good. And that doesn't mean they're not good riders or weren't fast or do anything, but there's like this Mendoza line where if you don't make it happen, teams start to lose faith in you and the willingness to put you on factory equipment and continue to invest and get paid well, that deteriorates. And I really felt like Pierce was in a precarious spot. He needed to continue his improvement so he would reinforce just the good thoughts about him and there wouldn't be any sort of question question marks around him like he needs to get a new contract, he needs to get 
people that are going to reinvest long-term. And I, I think that's going to happen for him. And nights like last night in Detroit are critical for that. You need to show that you can go race with McAdoo and Jet Lawrence and all these guys and that you're continuing to get better. That, that's half the battle is that you're not stagnant. You're certainly not going backwards. You're not continuing to injure yourself and you're taking strides forward. And I thought that uh, Pierce did all of that. Uh, I just thought it was a, a really, really great night for him. Not only results-wise, like getting third place is awesome, don't get me wrong, but more of the eye test. That eye test is so critical for these guys as how their bosses view them. You know, if, you know, if Pitt Buyer or whoever is making the decisions for him, whether it's, it could even be a guy like Roger DeCoster or Ian Harrison, someone involved, right? Whoever's pulling the strings above just the gas gas line i'm talking about on an you know an austrian level whoever has to make that decision they have to believe and you know some of the guys from austria they don't go to these races all the time so what they see on the television screen and what they're told sometimes decisions can be made from that and anybody that was there a part of pierce brown's program this weekend from practice to his heat race to the main event would be giving glowing remarks and they would be like, yeah, we get, we need to keep this kid. He's, he's on his way. And, and I would fully agree with that. So nice job from him. Um, you know, I didn't touch on jet too much because it was kind of more the same. We expect him to be winning these races, or at least I do anyway. I think he is, uh, he's going to be a 450 champion, right? So it only, it only makes sense that he would be a 250 champion on the way and he's 18 and you can see his development is just on a, on a level that is not common. And I have no reason to, to kind of back away from that. He's just more winning. Even when he made the big mistake, Pierce got to the back, hit, you know, his rear wheel. And I'm sure on some level jet wanted a panic, but you could see, the maturity coming in, like he is slowly maturing, even though he had that horrible Arlington race, that maturity level is still developing. And the resiliency, when things were going wrong, it would have been very easy for him to let that mistake kind of, you know, just grow into another mistake and you get this snowball effect in the wrong direction. But he was able to calm the situation down, put good laps in, and then guess what? He was fast enough to ride away from the rest of the pack. And to me, that's a, a really big step for him is to absorb the bad things that are happening. You know, kind of regroup a little bit mid-main event. Get your heart rate down. Get your breathing under control. And then go again and be able to pull away. And I can't even express how difficult that is in the moment for someone that young to be that self-aware and to understand the situation realize that you're the best guy in the class. You don't have to, you know, rebound from the mistake and put your, you know, the fastest lap of your life in the next lap. You just got to calm down a little bit. And then you can start to move, like, you know, figure out, okay, yeah, Pierce is riding well, but he's not going to run away from me. I just need to put in solid laps. I need to ride mistake-free the rest of this race and everything should be fine. And, and he's able to do that. So, if you can't tell, I'm a huge Jet Lawrence fan. Uh, I just like the way he races. I like the way he approaches uh, all these things. And I just, you don't see it at this age very often. And, and it's taken me a while to come around on him. But 
I'm, I'm there on the Jet Lawrence, you know, hype train. Uh, McAdoo, you know, I didn't cover him yet, even though he got second in the race and he's second in points. He's just grinding. You know, he's not doing anything flashy. I don't think he's riding the best we've ever seen of him, you know, but in the end, he's getting the job done. He was able to overcome, you know, not the best of starts. He slowly but surely reeled Pierce Brown in and he got second. And that doesn't mean that he's going to win the title. And it doesn't mean he's not going to, but he's hanging around, okay? He's just there. He's staying on the podium. He's logging good results. I think it will, it will keep him on Mitch Payton's, you know, Monster Energy Pro Circuit Kawasaki making really good money. And, the, you know, the most difficult part is that he's up against this juggernaut that is Jet Lawrence. And that just happens, man. Ask Kevin Windham about being up against the best guys in a generation. He had to face Stu, Carmichael, Reed, all these guys. Sometimes you're just up against it and it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. You just have to deal with somebody that's probably going to win for the rest of their life. Uh, So I like what I'm seeing from McAdoo. I like to see the resiliency in his riding. He's not having the big crashes that we saw last year, which was my fear is that he was going to push too hard to try to beat Jet and he was going to crash more times than not. He's not doing that, so good for him. Uh, Last guy I want to talk about in the 450 is RJ Hampshire. Fourth, he got Jordan Smith late. I mean, really, the only thing you're looking for from from RJ right now is just some sort of consistency and staying off the ground. He has not been able to do that this year or really in prior years. It's just been a, a cavalcade of crashing over the years. That doesn't mean he can't ride really well. He's super fast, but... That like for him to be on the edge and for him to be to ride at his fastest level, unfortunately, just comes with a lot of crashing. And you can't beat guys like Jet Lawrence or even McAdoo's. I would say Pierce Brown is is fair game for RJ to beat, but even McAdoo, McAdoo's not making the critical mistake right now. And I don't know where the balance is for RJ. It's a really tough situation because. On one, you know, if he imagine he's got a, a bird perched on each or a you know angel and a demon on each shoulder, as you know that cliche is, and one of them saying, you know, God, we got to go faster because we have to win. Like everything about this class and to make a lot of money and to get a 450 contract and all these things, you've got to win, got to win, got to win. Well, the other side of that is more reasonable and is going, okay, well, that's all well and good, but you know damn well if you go to that level, you're going to crash. We, there, we have just countless, you know, incidences where if you ride like that, you are going to end up on the ground. And there's just this big push-pull, I'm sure, mentally, and I, I don't know, but this is from the outside, my perception, is he's dealing with this yin and yang of pushing the envelope, but also, like, what good does that do if you don't ever get a result? It doesn't matter how fast you can go if you just never finish. So... Finding that balance is what it's all about for RJ. You know, and he, he's not, he's not, doesn't have the same dynamic as Jet. You know, he's more like Cameron McAdoo than he is like Jet. Like Cam is finding that balance of, I got to push, but I also need to stay upright because sustained success is everything, right? If you want to be a championship contender, guess what you always have to do? You always have to finish, 
you know, and, and the legends of the sport, the guys I mentioned a few, you know, 30 seconds ago would tell you that. What's the number one thing you absolutely have to do to win the race? You have to finish the race, okay? So for RJ, that's where he's at as this conundrum of if I'm conservative, I get fifth or sixth, and that, that's not it, right? I'm not going to get paid a lot of money. Like, I'll probably get a ride somewhere, but I'm not going to get paid well, and I'm definitely not going to get a 450 factory ride to do that. But if I go try to beat Jet or get on the podium, the likelihood of crashing skyrockets. So as he develops, and he's not young, you know, by the way, he's, he's getting older. At some point, he's got to find that balance and be able to straddle that fine line. And, and I haven't seen it yet, okay? Saturday night was a step towards it, but at the same time, he's got to be better than he was Saturday night. Like, he's got to be a few percent better, but still not crash. And I'm not saying I could do it. Clearly, I couldn't. I tried. I could never get to where those guys are really on the edge. I just wasn't willing to go there because I knew I was going to crash. These guys, I'll give them credit for being willing to push the envelope and almost certain injury at times is, you know, it's coming. But I don't think there's a lot to be gained if you're just never going to be able to, you're just going to end up hurt all the time and on the sidelines. And that's not doing anybody any good either. So it's kind of where we're at the 250 class. It's a little bit boring. I hate to say that, but it is what it is, right? That's just the situation we're faced with. We lost J-Mart. Um, who else did we lose? We lost uh, Forkner. Um, we're just, we lost guys in this class, and it's a bummer. I hate to see it, um, but yeah, unfortunately, that's what happens in these races is guys get hurt. So we still have you know the biggest superstar, which is Jet, but we did, uh, we did lose a little bit of air out of the series. And I think everybody would agree that that's the case. So um, let's be thankful we have a great 450 series and a lot of chaos and a lot of entertainment because both of the 250 series, to me, are just a little bit anticlimactic at the moment. Speaking of that 450 class, let's jump right into uh, these power rankings. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm pretty worn out between flights and time change uh and then last week not getting enough sleep um i'm feeling it today so without further ado number 10 justin brayton and he has not been in here for a while i don't even know if he's been in here all season i guess i could scroll through my notes and look but really it's more about attrition than it is justin's great riding and I don't mean that as a negative towards him. I just think that's what it is, you know, and sometimes things just go that way. It's not your fault, but I don't think Justin has had a season where he deserves to really be in the top 10 for this, but with the guys that are getting hurt, with the guys that are out, you just start sliding up the ranks just like he did in the main event last night. He gets a fifth place because he didn't crash. He stayed smart. He, you know, he, he wasn't, up there pushing the pace. He wasn't anywhere near the front. But at the end of the night, when you just put decent laps in, you wind up with a good result. I did that in my own career at times. I wasn't riding exceptionally well sometimes, but I found a pace. I kept logging the laps. At the end of the night, I kept seeing the pit board, the positions on the pit board coming down and down and down because of the chaos around me. And that's how Justin Brayton got 10th. That's how Vince Freeze got 6th. That's how Cade Clayson got 10th. That's how Justin Sterling got 12th. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not their fault. 
No one should, you know, say that they're lucky or anything. It doesn't matter. To, to get a good result, you have to finish. And for guys like Sexton, Webb, Ferrandis, all Jason Anderson, all four of those guys, they're super fast. And they were riding incredibly well. But guess what they didn't do? They didn't finish. And for all those guys that moved up, you know, I hear it all the time. They're all the naysayers like, ah, yeah, whatever. You would have never got that, you know, Brayton would have never got fifth without all the crashing. So what? I don't care. I, do you think that Justin Brayton is sitting at home going, man, you know what? I'm so lucky. Like, I didn't deserve to get fifth. No, he's pumped. Like, you take opportunity when it arises. End of story, right? Because there are nights when it doesn't go your way and everything goes wrong and you're wishing you could catch a break like you did at Detroit. Never, you know, I don't know what, where the saying comes from, but never look a gift horse in the mouth. That doesn't make any damn sense, by the way. But point being, there's going to be plenty of times or plenty of, uh, there will be plenty of nights where you, don't, you can't find any luck and everything seems to go against you and all, you know, you're riding poorly and everybody around you, everyone around you is riding well and no one crashes. I remember nights like that in my own career. I remember outdoor nationals like that in my career where I wasn't feeling it. I was counting on other people to have a tough go and they didn't. Everything just seemed to go their way and I, you know, the results sucked. And I'm like, well, this is just one of those nights. So for all the guys that had an exceptional Detroit, just absorb it, be happy, soak it in because we all know it doesn't go that way all the time. Anyway, number nine, Dean Wilson, and it was not a good night for Dean. You know, that night I'm describing where nothing goes your way and you're crashing, you can't do anything right, that was Dean's night. And he has to be frustrated because if he had had that night that he's had like for the last two months where it's basically a nine through 11 over and over and over, had he done that at Detroit, he probably would have been fifth. You know, he probably would have been in the spot that Justin Brayton ended up in because that's where he's been. He has been that ninth and 10th place guy. And then you take out Anderson, Sexton, Webb, and Ferrandis, and guess what? Dino moves up into fifth or sixth, right? I'm not going to say whether he would have beaten Brayton or not. That's not for me to decide. But at worst, he's getting sixth based off of prior results. So if you're Dean, you can't be frustrated. You just have to know it was one of those nights you crashed. You know, it's his own fault. But you look at the field and you're like, okay, everybody, everybody's hurt. This is my opportunity going into Indy. I need to make it happen. It's a race he's been on the podium at before. I'm not saying he's getting a podium. I'm just saying it's a race he's done well at before. He needs to bring his A game to Indy next week because there will be opportunity in my opinion. Number eight, I have Dylan Ferrandis. I don't know what to say about Ferrandis, man. He, he didn't even crash. I watched what he did. He cased a rhythm section before the finish line, jammed his wrist, jammed his shoulder, jammed something, and then pulled immediately into the mechanics area and DNF'd. And he was on my fantasy team, so I was pissed. But it's just been that kind of year for him, right? You, if you continue to make mistakes over and over and over, and this will be a theme for other guys that we're getting to, but if you continue to make mistakes throughout a season – I can almost promise you that it's going to result in an injury. You can't crash. You can't have gigantic miscues where you're coming off the motorcycle and 
how many times have we seen him crash lately, right? We saw him crash in practice at Daytona. We saw him crash in the heat race at Detroit. He Both hands come off. He flies through the tough blocks. You know, still made the main event. But that's the kind of year it's been for Ferrandis. And you can't do that week in and week out without it finally catching up to you. And I don't know what's wrong with Ferrandis. I don't know what the injury is. I just know from being around this sport my entire life that those things accumulate and eventually catch up to you. That's just how it goes. You can only be lucky for so long in this sport before one of them, you just land the wrong way, you jam something because you know just too much pressure on the wrong angle. It doesn't even have to be a crash. Just like with Ferrandis, something will sneak up and bite you if you continue to put yourself in harm's way. Number seven, Marvin Muscan. Uh, he gets fourth. Good job. And he almost got Barsha at the end, right? I, that was, uh, I was helping spotting for television, so I was trying to chase all these battles down for television and make sure that we weren't missing anything. And trust me, that was not easy because people were crashing all over the damn place and there's just yelling into the microphones. Everyone's you know, screaming at each other, trying to get cameras on crashes and all kinds of stuff. It was really chaotic. Uh, and then at the end, I was trying to make sure that we weren't going to miss the, the Barsha-Muscan battle because they got really close at the end as well. And Marvin was no different than a guy like Brayton, right? The result wouldn't have been as good, but I don't think Marvin cares, right? He wanted to get on the podium. So take it when it's there. There are going to be plenty of nights when it's not there because Marvin's had those 10th place finishes this year where you're just scratching your head going, what the hell was Marvin doing? That's, that wasn't a good ride at all. So when you get a fourth, even though you got some luck go your way, that's fine. Take it. Take it and move on to Indy, which is another really, really good track for Marvin historically. So maybe he can build off of that. Number six, Justin Barshi. He got a podium. And if you want to say why was he, why is he sixth? Because the guys, you know, the guys I have in front of him are riding better than him, you know, week in and week out. Now, can he beat these other guys, the top five in front of him? Sure. But I think the guys in front of him, these five that we'll get to, have been on a little bit better form than him as of late. Not necessarily at Detroit, but Daytona, Minneapolis, Arlington, you know, I think those guys, their trend was a little bit better than Barsha's. And it's close. Some of these guys are really close. It's not, you know, huge gaps from four to five to six to where Barsha is. It's subtle. It's subtle differences and changes. And if these guys are injured that we're going to get to and, and they can't ride well at Indy, guess what? Barsha will move up. But for this week, I have him at six. I do think it should be mentioned, Barsha rode a really solid race. He passed into the lead at one point. Like, I didn't think he was going to win the race. But I was impressed that he was able to move to the front and lead laps. We haven't seen that from him lately. And it was nice to see that flair come back into his game. Now, it also needs to be noted that he wasn't on the pace of Tomac, uh, Anderson, or Mookie because they all passed him. All three of those guys passed Justin Barsha. So before we get too carried away, you know, it, it's finding that fine line of, yes, he was great. Yes, he led laps, but he was also passed straight up by those other three guys. So I don't feel bad at putting him at six. It's a very fluid situation. And again, he could be at four very, very quickly if things go his way. Before we get to the top five, let's thank the sponsors again. 
Pirelli tires, they have that new set of, uh, well, they came out last summer, but I think it's still worth noting in my own, uh, you know, my own marketing platforms for fly racing. I know how long it takes for new customers to get to try a product, to even listen to me talk about these new products. And, you know, when they are ready to make a purchase to go to try them. So check out that new set of uh, MX32 Midsoft mini tires. And for those of you who aren't familiar, that MX32, it's my favorite rear tire probably ever. And the straight line traction that you get for the starts with that MX32 is really, really hard to beat. Um, I used it racing nationals. I used it racing supercross. It was actually the tire I took to Europe was that MX32. So I couldn't recommend it any more highly. And uh, now that it's available in a mini option, I think if you're, you know, if your kid races in 85, I think they're, they're really going to notice a difference, uh, especially for straight line traction. Pump Creek funding, get your house refied ASAP. Rates are already going up. Like you've already kind of missed the best window, but it's only going to go up from here. That's the thing. Like you can still get, I don't know if you can get in the threes. I think we may be back already at four. But it's going to go higher. I think we'll be at five by 2023. That, that's my prediction. And I'm not, this isn't my expertise, but I do read about this a lot and study it a lot. But the more important thing here is that rates are only going up. We're not going to see rates back down in the twos where we saw, you know, during the pandemic and, and 2021. That's done for a while because of inflation. They have to raise rates uh, to, to slow the economy down, to slow inflation down. Well, that makes it's going, to be, it's going to be more expensive to borrow, right? And not only that, you need to work with Zach Morris at Plum Creek Funding to make sure your credit is as high as possible because when we go through this inflationary cycle, the Fed is going to tighten. That means it's going to be harder to borrow money. That also means, when, <laughs> I guess what that means is that when you go into a bank and you go into apply for a home loan, if you're credit score is not high enough, you don't have all your ducks in a row, the bank's going to say no, because the Fed is not making it as easy. It's not as liquid out there. So they're tightening and making it harder to borrow. So every step of the process is getting more difficult and it's getting more expensive. So long story short, you need to act quickly and at least ask questions. Reach out to Zach, 720-212-4685, and at least get a full grasp of the situation. I just gave you the cliff notes, but he can walk you through it given your specific details, right? You can lay out your situation and he can give you the proper advice that, you know, I'm, this isn't my field of expertise. It is for him and he can give you the best advice. Guts Racing, they are the sponsor of RJ Hampshire and Styles Robertson, who were trying to get on the podium last night. Uh, They use Guts Racing products They also have the RJ wide wing seat that Dean Wilson uses, and it gives you more grip, right? If you want to, like those guys are going through supercross whoops, you're likely not. The question or the the situation there is they want more grip. They want to be able to grab the seat and the side of the bike better to, to grip with your legs. You hear that all the time. You need to grip with your legs to control the bike. Well, that RJ wide wing seat gives you more surface area to grip with. So great product there. Fast Foundry, reach out to uh, Robert Carrico and find out how he can make your business more efficient. Uh, As we know, we're heading into what could possibly be a recession, right? We don't know, but there are a lot of forward indicators saying that a recession is on the horizon. 
And as we get closer to that, guess what? Business is going to get tougher. The economy slows down. That is the definition of a recession. Two consecutive fiscal quarters that GDP has gone backwards. And we could be headed that way. So that's going to mean things are going to get tougher. People are going to be spending less money. So you need to make sure that your small business, or if you work at some giant company, your big business is firing on all cylinders, has everything going in their way as much as possible so you can be as efficient as possible because it's not going to be as easy as it was. So reach out to Robert, ask him, you know, it could be something as simple as making your, your, you know, just your books more efficient. If you use spreadsheet, if you use uh, some sort of payment processing, um, getting all that stuff in line is uh, what they really specialize in. Worst connection, what do they do? They pull whole shots. How do they do it? Pro launch start device. That's, they have tons of items over at Works Connection. Go to worksconnection.com. Go to at Works Connection on Instagram. Check out everything they have. But I've been pushing this pro launch start device for a while because if you notice, guys at Star Racing use it. They whole shot a lot. Guys at Factory Honda use it. They whole shot it a lot. You just go down the list of teams that use the pro launch start device, and it's not a shock that they pull a lot of whole shots. They have fast engines also. But guess what? They can choose any starting device that they want. And yet they still choose to put the Pro Launch Start device on their bike. So thank you to Works Connection for being, uh, being on this podcast for the long term. Pro Glow. Let's do the Pro Glow question of the week right now before we finish out the, uh, the top five. Let's do it right here. And this is from Nate. He says, do you think that a true documentary like Drive to Survive about Moto would bring a substantial amount of fans like it did with F1? I know that our sport will never be a true mainstream sport, but I wonder if that could bring in some, some bigger corporate sponsorship. Now it's funny cause we, we've talked about this a lot, like me and Steve and a lot of, uh, you know, just my friends and group texts and stuff. And I, I truly think it would, uh, we're about to get the first ever MotoGP one that they filmed last season. So I think that comes out maybe tomorrow, which will be really exciting. I can't wait to watch that. But I do. I, I really think if we got something like that where it was top-tier production value, um, like you know, like Netflix is throwing the kitchen sink at Drive to Survive, right? They're no expense spared, like doing it absolutely the best job possible. If we got something done like that where it got a big budget effort and we went all out, I don't know if it would be as well-received as something like Drive to Survive would be because F1 is just a gigantic sport. But I think it would help a lot because to me, the number one key of developing fandom of a sport is getting people familiar with the, the person themselves, right? And I think we have such a disadvantage in moto because these guys have helmets on the entire event. Or if you look at like football, basketball, baseball, a lot of these other stick and ball sports – they don't have helmets on all the, the whole game, right? You can see their face, whether it's standing on the sideline or, you know, they do all these interviews and stuff. We don't get a lot of that. Unless you're on the podium, you're not getting that face-to-face interview, right? The only thing, the only way you're getting to see a guy like Cade Clayson or, you know, some of these privateer heroes, Amart, all the guys that us core fans know, Alex Ray, even the lesser, like Dean Wilson, some of these guys, the only way we know who those guys are is because we're, we're in social media and we're engaged in all this stuff. The average fan that could take this sport or leave it, they're never going to see that because 
they had their helmet on the entire race. If they were running around out there without a helmet, well, for one, that would be a terrible idea. But two, you'd be able, you'd notice these guys. They would become much more familiar. You might notice them if they were in an airport instead of being a stranger. But something like a drive to survive or a ride to survive would be awesome. And I'm really excited to see how it comes off for MotoGP because I'm already all in on MotoGP. Like I could not be a bigger fan. But I'm curious to see, and we're going we're gonna to watch this experiment unfold for MotoGP and see how many people get dragged in where before they don't care. A guy like Steve Mathis, he's not into it at all. And he's so stubborn, he probably won't. He probably will stay away just because he's so stubborn. But other people that maybe were like, eh, I could check it out, but nothing's really drawing me in. And I've had people that at my recommendation have watched, they are bored. They're like, ah, it's a bunch of euros. I don't understand it. Their names are super weird. Their interviews are guys that barely speak English. Like, it's just not for me, right? I understand. I get it. I I totally can relate to that predicament. But at the same time, I believe that if a show like Drive to Survive for MotoGP, if they watch all the episodes and they get familiar with these guys and they learn the backstory and they learn how much strategy and how much goes into these MotoGP bikes and the talent and skill that's involved to go that fast on these, you know, these bikes are huge and heavy. Um, I think it could go a long way. So let's see. Let's see how the MotoGP side does. Um, but great question, Nate. You win the, uh, the Pro Glow uh, prize of the week for the question of the week. And, uh, I'll be reaching out for more of that. So thank you to Proglo. They have uh, promo code moto 15 to save yourself some money. Thank you to Ryan and the whole Proglo team for being a part of this podcast. Uh, Grandstone boots, of course, have been with this podcast from the very beginning. And, uh, I'm going to go to dinner as soon as I finish this podcast and I will be wearing my Grandstone boots. Speaking of that. And last but not least, fly racing, is my day job and they pretty much allow me to do everything and anything that I get to do in this sport. So could not thank them enough. I'll be back in the office tomorrow. So let's finish out this top five. Uh, Number five, Chase Sexton. And you got to be feeling for that guy, man. He has to be a sore young man today. He has had a rough few weeks. You remember going back to Minneapolis, which is only two weeks ago. Was it two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? three weeks ago, huge crash, should have won the race, ends up on his head. I think he was maybe out of consciousness for a minute. It's not my place to say. Either way, he passed a concussion protocol and was back for Arlington, but that was a nasty one. And certainly he was feeling it after that one. Here we are again, a few weeks later, another huge one. You could see the tears in his jersey and just all the abrasions. That couldn't have felt good. Um, I just feel bad for him because he is so damn good on a motorcycle. And that one was completely not his fault. We have seen so many crashes from Chase. And we saw another one uh, in qualifying. Was it the heat race? No, it was the heat race. Huge crash from Sexton. Those have all been his fault, okay? On you, pushing too hard, taking too many chances. Say what you want about those. But this one wasn't. This one, wrong place, wrong time. Webb makes a mistake and Sexton goes right into him. So... The guy can't catch a break. Um, I think there are better days ahead. I love everything about his trajectory in the sport, but God, you got to feel rough for him taking another, another big one there. Uh, Mookie is at number four. 
And this is the highest Mookie's ever been on the power rankings, and I believe he deserves it. And I can see him going higher. I really could. Um, you know, he needs to get his first win. He need, you know, there are a few boxes that he still needs to check. But really strong ride for Mookie to be second last night. And you can just see him getting better and better. And the confidence is coming, like, fastest qualifier, winning heat races, leading laps. Like, these things are building. Like, the momentum and is just cascading in a positive direction and all of that mentally starts to gain traction. And you can guarantee that Alden Baker throughout the week is just going, see, it's coming. Just keep taking steps forward. Allow this process to happen, right? Just get out of the way, keep putting in the work, and it will happen. And that's what you're seeing. I, I, we've watched it a million times happen with Alden Baker's guys, and it's unfolding right in front of us with Mookie and I mean, he's really, really impressive, man. You, you look at how much better Mookie has gotten over the last few years and the consistency and the confidence. He's not crashing anymore. He's getting good starts. He's just doing it all right. And, uh, yeah, I give, I give him a ton of credit. Cooper Webb, I have it three. DNF, you know, same story. It was in that Sexton crash. And really uncharacteristic for Webb because I firmly believe he made a gigantic mental error there. I think he got confused on where he was. If you look at that crash in slow motion, he comes in, uh, Clayson, I think it was a Clayson was kind of, somebody was right in the way. I, I should know exactly who it was, but somebody was on his outside. They didn't do anything wrong, but Webb got kind of sandwiched between that rider and Sexton coming up the inside. And Sexton didn't do anything wrong. You know, he's trying to make a pass. As Webb comes out of that corner, though, I think he just forgot what section of the track he was on because I guess Sexton tripled out of the corner on press day, but no one did that all no one did that all day on Saturday where you come out of that corner and go three in. That was always, always a two-three all day long. So there's no way that Webb was like, okay, right here. In between two guys in traffic, I'm going to pull this three out of the corner for the first time ever. That's not a possibility, okay? So the, if you take that into consideration, the only thing left is that Webb got a little rattled, freaked out, and forgot where he was, and he grabbed a handful and thought that he was supposed to go three out of the corner because it happens. I've done it. I know I was talking to other guys last night. I was talking to Carmichael, I was talking to Daniel Blair, all these guys that were on the television broadcast. They've done it. You, you just get in the moment and you forget what section of the track you're on. You're just not thinking clearly, right? You're thinking about something else. Maybe he was worried about Sexton. Maybe he was, you know, there could have been a million things going on in his head. And he just had a mental lapse in concentration he sat into that takeoff with way too much power, like you would triple it out of a corner, just like you would do it, except for that section wasn't, it wasn't built to go three out of it. Never was. It was built to go two, three. And he come, came up way short, right? And he would have saved it. He wasn't going to crash. But then Sexton lands on top of him, and then it's game over. And, I mean, it's purely Webb's fault. He made a mistake. He owned it. You know he wouldn't have crashed if Sexton wasn't right behind him. But these things happen. You're in tight quarters. There is not a lot of room for error, especially when you're in a battle like that. And let's just hope 
that both of those guys are able to go at Indy because they're two of the biggest stars of the sport. It would be a gigantic loss for the rest of the series if those guys are you know hurt more than we know at the moment. So a really strange crash from Webb. Not even so much the crash, but more just the mistake. He doesn't do that. Like That's not something we see often from him. He is the guy that's always just cool, calm, collected, no mistakes. And, and I've been trying to push this Iceman narrative on Webb because that's who he is. And if you've watched Top Gun enough times, you know that's what Iceman was. He was, you know, he would wor- what is it? lull you into a mistake, right? You'd be, get bored, you do something stupid, and then he's got you. That's how Webb has always attacked this field. So to see him on the mistake side where he's the one that has a mental error, that really surprised me. Like, I wasn't prepared for that. I mean, anything's possible. Nobody's infallible. Like, nobody's perfect. So, but I just didn't expect it from Webb. That's just not something um, that we've seen over the years. So, again, any, you know, anybody's capable of any type of move. Nobody is perfect their whole career. It was just a really uncharacteristic mistake for Webb. Anderson, number two. And... I don't want to be harsh on Anderson, but I have been mentioning this, that if you continue to make mistakes, it eventually is going to get you. It's going to bite you. And Anderson has been making mistake after mistake after mistake, little crashes, big crashes, picking fights with Mookie, you know, picking fights with Barsha at A1. It's just been the same theme all season long. The same, it's also been a theme of incredible riding. He's been riding his ass off. But I am a firm believer that if you make mistake after mistake after mistake, it will get you. And I, you know, I've already talked about this a few times. I've mentioned it with Ferrandis. If you do it enough, you're not going to get away with it every time. It will catch up to you and in a bad way. Now, I don't think Anderson's hurt. I think he probably you know, rung his bell or, you know, I, I, it's a really slippery slope on that topic, but he, he didn't look great, right? He didn't want any part of getting back on his motorcycle. So let's hope it's something minor. Let's hope he'll be back at Indy. But the point remains, if you're going to win a championship, you've got to cut all those mistakes out. And now he's like 40 points out, right? He's, it, it's basically over. He needs a miracle at this point. And I really believed this is where we were going. I didn't want it. I don't care. I don't have a vested interest in him doing well or poorly, but I really believed that this was where we would end up. I thought this was inevitable if he kept tempting fate, that it was going to end up right here. Number one, Eli Tomac, not a surprise, pretty obvious. And I mean, he deserves it. I was texting with uh, Mathis on Saturday saying how confident Tomac looked in practice. He was attacking the track. He was attacking Jason Anderson in practice, which was surprising to me. Um, but he was just going for it all day. I, it was just a much more confident Eli Tomek than I've ever seen. And it wasn't like the lap times were just stellar. It was more the eye test and watching him. He just looked incredibly confident on the motorcycle. Like he wanted to go fast. And that's not a great description, but you kind of know it when you see it. He wasn't tentative. He wasn't hesitant. He just looked like he and the bike were one and he could do anything he wanted. He could put the bike anywhere on the racetrack that he wanted. And and it was responding to his every little input exactly how he wanted to do it. And uh, that's a really dangerous 
dynamic for everybody else. And you see him win the race, right? He passed to the front. He moved forward. He passed all those guys. You know, even Jason Anderson before he crashed, he straight up passed him. And uh, yeah, he's going to be our champion almost for sure. You know, barring injury, I don't want to jinx him, but barring injury, he will be your 2022 champion and he deserves it. He has been the best rider over the course of 11 rounds or whatever we have, 10 rounds, whatever the number is. He's been the best guy and he will be a two-time champion. So that's it for this week. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, rough, rough day for me. I'm tired. Um, I'll bounce, bounce back tomorrow, but man, when you go to we're three months into this thing. Well, two months in, whatever. We're a lot of races in and a lot of flying in a row. I'll be back to Indy on Thursday, right back to where we were a couple hours down the road from where we just were. So no rest for the weary for us. Um, and a little bit of the air got sucked out of the series this weekend, which is a bummer. Uh, you know, the 250 classes, we kind of already were seeing where that was headed. And then the 450 class was all we had to hold on to. And then now Tomac's got this gigantic lead. So hopefully we get some nice battling each weekend to, uh, to bring some suspense back into the series. But yeah, rough weekend for the sport. Chaos reigned on Saturday. Thanks, everybody, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next Sunday.